Well, if you've got your Bibles, please turn to the book of Philippians, and we are, we'll, we'll read as the children are leaving. Philippians chapter 1, verses 15 to 26. Philippians 1, 15 to 26. It goes like this, Paul says, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me, Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with you all for your progress and join the faith so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Quite some well-known verses in that passage. When I was a little boy, when I was a young man, you know, like six or seven or something, uh, I was given for Christmas a book. And it was one of these books that had loads of these pictures. Can you remember these um, books that you'd get? They're called Magic Eyes. And I was given one of these as a kid. And there must have been a hundred pictures in there. And for hours, hours, for weeks and months, you know, I would sit there and you kind of, I don't know if you don't know what I'm talking about, but you've you got these pictures and within this picture, you have, you've got to kind of like focus your eyes a little bit. You know, you've got to get a bit googly eye, don't you? You know, go a bit cross-eyed or something and look at the picture. And if you spend long enough, 10, 15 minutes going a bit blurry with your eyes, you can apparently see a picture there. You know, there could be, I don't know, some circus clowns doing some hula hoops or something like that, or a car driving by. There could be a whole bunch of things happening in the picture, but you've got to pay attention with it and you've got to focus on it. Can you, can, do you remember, do you know what I'm talking about here? Well, I don't believe it's true. I just think it's a bunch of pictures because in my life, I've never seen whatever's in there. Never. I don't know if my eyes don't go cross-eyed enough or I don't know. 
I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Has anybody actually made it work? Ah, I think you had a meeting beforehand and you all agreed that, I don't know, I don't believe that's true. Nevertheless, it's a thing and you can get these pictures. And if you have the right perspective on it, you can, and you spend enough time looking at it, you can see this image that comes out that's not there. You get to see something that isn't ordinarily seen. It's not obvious. And this is what we see in this, the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians is a book of joy. It's called the book of joy, the epistle of joy. Because Paul, the apostle Paul, seems to be overflowing with joy. And over the last two weeks, we've been looking at Philippians for the last two weeks now. We've discovered that Paul has this joy about him, uh, even though he's in prison, even though this man is in chains, even though he doesn't know what's going on in his life, he's, he's uncertain about his future. Paul has this wonderful mindset of joy in his life. And I believe he has this perspective, he has this view that he can see, which isn't obvious to everybody else. And he's communicating back to the Philippian church saying, I have joy for a reason, because I can see something that people ordinarily can't see. I can see the hope that I have in Jesus Christ. And this hope allows me to have this joy in any circumstances, even though I'm in prison, even though I'm in chains, even though I'm chained to a God next to me, I still have this joy overflowing. Even though I may be persecuted, I may be killed. I still have this joy. And let me tell you why I have this joy. And the book of Philippians explains why Paul has joy in life, regardless of his circumstances, because in Christ. And over the last few weeks, we've learned how we, for the reasons that Paul has joy in his life, he says that we have a shared identity. We looked at verse one, two weeks ago, how we are all saints in Christ. We are called to be saint. The noun for the word is saint, but the adjective is um, holy. We are called to be holy, to be called set apart. We share this identity. Before the term Christian was coined, we were called saints. If you believed, if you were a follower of Jesus, we were saints in Christ, called to be set apart, called to be holy followers of Christ. And we learned as well that we, are, we have a shared role. We are partners in the gospel together. And together we have a purpose in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And once we grasp the good news of Jesus, once we understand the life-transforming presence of Christ in our lives, we learned last week that we can take it with us wherever we go. We can take the gospel. We can carry the gospel with us. Uh, in our workplace, in our families, uh, on the bus going to, you know, Shemanis or whatever, right? We can take the gospel with us. So let's keep looking at the book of Philippians in verse 15. Let's dive straight in. And Paul says this, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. We don't really know what Paul is referring to here. But he doesn't tell us that there are false teachers. 
But what we do, what we do know is that there are people, Christian, who are preaching against Paul. They're preaching Christ, but they're preaching against him. They're not false teachers. Paul has a lot to say about false teachers. We looked at 1 John um, some months back. And Paul addresses false teachers and he doesn't mince his words. So we know that these aren't false teachers. We know that there are probably saints, they're probably Christian, who are teaching the word of God, but with the wrong motives. We don't want false teachers. We can't abide. We don't want false teachers in the pulpit. We don't want false teachers teaching our kids in Sunday school. We don't want false teachers doing our youth group on a Wednesday night. This isn't them. These are Christian in the church who are just stirring up trouble for Paul. They are genuine Christians, but with insincere motives. In case you haven't seen it, in case you haven't heard it or experienced it, let me tell you something. Christians can sometimes be awful people as well. You know, we are not perfect. Now, I know that doesn't happen here in New Life Church. You know, we're blessed. All those uh, Christians that stir up trouble are in other places, right? We know that. But Christians sometimes can be difficult and they can undermine others and have different agendas in the church. Christians can be envious and jealous and shallow. Christians can undermine one another. That's why churches have splits. That's why churches have divisions. It's not saying that these, this group over here are better Christians than that. That's not, that's not what Paul is saying here. He's just saying that there are some Christians in his church, in this context, in some place that are preaching, but they are throwing mud at him. They are undermining Paul. Paul's in prison and it's a great opportunity for them to kind of gain power or authority or whatever. The temptation is to judge those Christians who are difficult, make life difficult. But we have to look into our own hearts and say, hey, what about me? You know, we all, we all love a bit of gossip, don't we? Each and every one of us, you know, I'm like that. That's why we like soap operas. You know, we like watching, you know, um, Coronation Street or I don't know, what's, what's the North American version? Dallas. You know, dynasty or something like that, was it? We all love a bit of gossip. And so there are people here who are making life difficult for Paul. It can be very hard for Christian leaders even. All leaders, and I include um, myself, elders, deacons, youth workers, can get undermined at times. Sometimes it's accidental. Sometimes it's intentional. So we all have to be on guard with our own motives. Paul is addressing Christians here. So there's a warning. Even as Christians, we have to be on guard of our own intentions and our own motives in life. And that's true of me as well. Make sure I, I don't get drawn into a, a juicy bit of gossip or whatever. It's not helpful for anybody. So what has Paul found happening? Well, it says in verse 17, the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. So you see that there's a group of people here who didn't like Paul. 
And so they start undermining him. They try to cast doubt on his character or his ability. And you might find in many letters of Paul that he has to defend himself against a whole bunch of allegations and a whole bunch of gossip. It's the hardest thing to deal with. Rarely will someone tell you to your face that you are doing something wrong. You know, as a pastor, I get people come to me and say, you know what, they're talking about this. I'm like, who were, well, who were they? Well, you know, they, them. There's a group of us talking about it. Well, who are they? Well, you know, them. Well, it's probably not anybody in particular. It's just that one person. But it's very hard to have a conversation. You don't want to be cruel or mean. But it's hard to defend or gossip. And this is what Paul is doing. Paul is having a bit of a tough time. He's in prison. He's been shipwrecked. He's been beaten. He's got people slandering him or throwing mud or gossiping about him while he's in prison. And he can't defend himself when he's in chains. And amazingly, all of this is happening. And I think Paul has the wonderful response. Paul doesn't ask the question, why God is this happening? He doesn't ask the Philippian church, why is this happening? He doesn't say, why is this happening to me? Not once does Paul get defensive or have a, you know, a degree of um, pity for himself. What Paul says is quite remarkable. Verse 12, we learned this last week. He doesn't ask the question, why? He asks the question, what? What good can come out of this? Now, verse 12, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What has happened to me has been a good thing for the kingdom of God. Paul trusts in God so much, he doesn't ask the why, but the what. Okay, God, what now? Okay, this has happened. What are you going to do about it, God? Okay, God, this has happened. What good is going to come out of this? I think that is a great response in life. God, what good are you going to do out of this situation? What good can come out of this? It's been a tough week this week in New Life Church. I'm not going to lie. You know, uh, Monday morning at 7 a.m., I'm eating my, my, my porridge, and I'm thinking, this week's going to be a good week. You know, we might get a bit of uh, snow on, on Tuesday evening. Uh, that'd be nice. So I'm sitting there thinking, wow, this is going to be awesome. 8.30 in the morning, I get a message. And my stress level went from zero to about four. Okay. And I'll say, oh, 8.30 Monday morning. Okay, I can handle this. You know, as long as there's just one thing. And then by 11 o'clock, my stress level went from four to about seven out of 10. You know, and I'm like, okay, guys, okay, it's 11 o'clock. I can handle this. You know, it's early. And then 12.30, the fire alarm's going off, right? So I'm taking my dogs to outside. I've got my dogs in the office and I take them outside. We're going down the steps and the fire alarm's going off. I literally pick my dogs up and I go in my office and I just throw them in the office and close the door, bless them. And um, <laughs> it's a good job there wasn't a real fire. <laughs> I just didn't know what to do with them, right? <laughs> and you go. 
And so then I just ran to the fire panel. What is happening? Make sure everyone leaves and it gets out safe. And that was all covered. And then, oh, so cute. You know, the daycare outside and the kind of snow playing, playing games and whatnot. It was, it was quite cute to see that. But we find out the problem. And then Alana's like, Simon, there's water in the kitchen. So we ran into the kitchen and, and I, I slip, right? I don't know if I say this because the water's flowing out into the, into the hallway, the foyer. And I just slide along the foyer into the doorpost and I've got this big gash in my leg and I'm like, oh man, it's like 12.30 on Monday and there's water coming out of the ceiling and I'm like, oh, it's not coming out of the sprinklers, it's coming out of the ceiling, yes? what's happening? So we ran and um, I ran to the outside and, you know, trying to find the, the isolation valve, can't find it, right, sprinkler room, turn the sprinklers off, that's what we did. And then the fire brigade came and everybody else came and we we're all shoveling out and this was about two o'clock, right? And, uh, and then it was, it was like, okay, that's Monday, okay, Monday. And then I think it went worse from there on. <laughs> and then, okay, and so that, you know, we're kind of trying to find asbestos reports and we're trying to find, it's all clear, by the way, in case you're wondering. And we're trying to find all these sorts of different things going on for the week, insurance companies and everything else. And you don't ask the question, Why? Why is this happening to me? You can ask the question, what good can come out of this situation this week for you, God? What good can come out of this so that you could be glorified? I ring Henry uh, on the, the uh, Tuesday morning. I needed some information. The first thing he says is, he doesn't say, good morning. He doesn't say, hi, Simon. He says, trust in God, Simon. Trust in God. And I thought, yes, Henry. Such an encouragement. Not why is this happening. Trust in God. If you trust in God, trust in Him that what, can good, what good can come out of the situation, Lord, in our situation. Don't ask why. Ask what now. Paul says, I want you to know that what is happening to me is really served for the gospel. Isn't that a wonderful thing? How can God reveal his glory in this? How can God turn this pain that we're going through, this difficulty, this challenge into a divine opportunity to reveal yourself, Lord, in this situation? We all go through difficult situations. Life is tough. Paul is in chains. Paul doesn't know his outcome. Is he going to be executed? Is he going to be taken before Caesar and tried? He says, doesn't matter. What good can come out of this? Paul has this perspective because he knows God and trusts God. He's able to see, like that picture at the very beginning, those magic eyes. He's able to see. He's got this view of God. He's got this perspective of God that he can see that people around him can't. He knows that he has Jesus Christ in his life now and for all eternity. And for him, that is the perspective that grounds him and gives him joy in all circumstances. He simply asks the question, I don't understand God, but you do. And that's good enough for me. And because of this, Paul is able to say some words which I want us to remember this morning. He tells us here in verse 18, what does it matter? What does it matter? These people are throwing dirt at him. 
they're kind of preaching against Paul. They're maybe slandering him, giving him a hard time. In verse 18, he says this, what does it matter? If it's, does it, will it matter in a year's time? Will it matter in a hundred years' time? In a hundred years' time, will anybody care what's happening right now? And if it doesn't matter in a hundred years' time, it won't matter today. So don't worry about it. Paul says, don't worry about it. What does it matter? Paul, he, Paul could complain. He could get on Facebook and have a good rant or Twitter or whatever it is these days. He could have a bit of a, comp- get a complaining party, get a bit of a gossip going on. Let's go around the water fountain and, and have a good gossip. Paul doesn't do any of that. He says, what? What does it matter? It doesn't matter at all. The important thing is that in every way, whether false or true, Christ is preached. And because of that, I rejoice. I have joy in my life. And that's the best answer to these petty-minded, selfish preachers. That's the best answer that, that we can have in any circumstances in life. What does it matter? He says, so what if they're not sincere? What, a, what, if, what, what about it if they stir up trouble, trouble for me? What does it matter? And I'm able to carry that into my life. What if, it, if people don't like my preaching and they want to go to another church? What does it matter? As long as they're hearing Christ preached. What does it matter if someone wants to leave New Life Church because another church has better coffee? Or smoke machines, or I don't know. Maybe he's the preacher, he, he wears a suit. Okay, what does it matter? Let them go. Because as long as Christ is preached and they're growing in their faith, praise God. What does it matter? As long as we're growing in our maturity, as long as we are growing in our faith, as long as Christ is preached, what does it matter? What does matter is that we are loving Jesus. What does matter is that we're caring for others. What does matter is that we are getting involved in the community. What does matter is that we are investing in people's uh, maturity. These are the things that matter. So forget the rest of it. Forget the rest. Do not worry about it. Do not be consumed by anxiety or worry or fear about these things because do you know what? Christ is preached. I have Christ in my life. He's transforming us. And it says here that what Christ done at the beginning will continue it. Um, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on into completion until the day of Christ Jesus, that's what matters. Christ is working in and through you and will continue to do that. So do not worry about what is going on or what people say about you. What does it matter? Remember that. Write it down. Highlight it. I've highlighted in here. What does it matter? Because people and Christians can gossip or slander. What does it matter? Okay, um, And then Paul goes on, verse 19. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Holy Spirit of Christ Jesus, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so uh, that now and always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
joy, uh, Paul has this joy in his life despite his doubting. He doesn't know what's going to go on in his life in that moment. Is he going to live or die? Is he going to be released or stay in prison? Is he going to be executed or, or, or liberated? He doesn't really know. At any moment, he could be summoned to death. But he says, I know through your prayers, what has happened to me will turn out for deliverance in verse 19. What happens, whatever happens, jail is not Paul's final destination. There will be deliverance. Paul knows that the final chapter of his life isn't going to be prison. How can he be so certain? Well, verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Even death is not the end of the Christian life. One way or another, Paul is just passing through prison, gossip, kitchen ceilings collapsing. What does it matter? What does it matter? In life, I have Christ living in me. In death, I have Christ before me. Paul has this perspective, this relationship with God, this understanding of Jesus, and it is unique. And he can see this perspective, this view, and it grounds him with joy in his life. Life is all about Jesus Christ. And when you become a Christian, you get hooked up to the source of eternal life. That's why death holds no fear to a believer, to a saint of Christ. Whether he lives or dies, the relationship to Jesus is indestructible. And because of that, Paul has this joy. Verse 22, he says, If I'm going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. If I die, it's glory for me. I'm going to be basking in, in heaven with God. The fulfillment of a relationship with God will come true in an eternal new heaven and earth with all of the saints that have gone before me. If I am well, to carry on living, sharing my faith and living in fellowship with believers here and now, God, if that is true, then teach me what. Teach me the what in life. What good can come out of this? How can I glorify you? For Paul, it's a win-win situation. If he dies, it's glory. If it's on earth, God's going to be teaching and moving and working in him for his purposes and his plans. What a perspective to have on life. If only I could grow like that in my own life. You see, Paul doesn't know what the future holds, but he knows who holds the future. Let me say that again in case you don't know what I said. Paul doesn't know what the future holds, but he knows who holds the future. Right now, Paul has a purpose and that includes his relationship to the Philippians. So Paul is convinced for their sake, God still has a reason to keep him here on earth. He says in verse 25, Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with you all for the progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Do you know what Paul is doing here? 
He's reassuring the Philippian church. This is the guy who's suffering. He's in prison. He's the one in chains. He's the one whose life may come to an end. And he's reassuring the Philippian church. Don't worry. The one who is suffering is reassuring the congregation. He's comforting his companions. What dictates your happiness in life today? Is it your circumstances or is it Jesus Christ? Is it happenings? Remember what we learned about, you know, happiness comes from happenings. Is it happiness or is it joy in Christ that is governing your life today? Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you your desired heart. It tells us in Psalm 37 verse 4. Paul keeps repeating the word joy. He keeps repeating the word Christ. Two words, joy and Christ. They're the two things that Paul keeps repeating in this book of Philippians. It keeps him grounded. Paul's delight is in Christ Jesus. He knows him. So when life throws one of those curveballs, in case you don't know, it's a North American expression. Curveball comes from the game baseball. Okay, just in case you don't know. Let's take a ball that curves, right? That's not unexpected. Okay, I'm getting these North American expressions. When life throws a curveball, Paul says, what? what does it matter? He can say with confidence, what does it matter? The question in life that we could be asking, shouldn't be asking is, why is this happening? How do I pay my bills? How am I going to sort this situation out? The most important question in life, I think we can ask ourselves is this. Do I know Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that in life we have this assurance that he who started a good work in us will continue to completion until the day that you return. We thank you that we have Christ in our lives. When we accept you as our Lord and Savior, we have Christ working in our lives every day for your purposes. And yet when we die, we have eternity. Lord, it's a win-win situation, Lord, for a Christian. And I thank you for the blessings that we get from being in Christ. We have the church. We have friends and family. We have the opportunity to worship and to pray together and to support one another, Lord. We have you working in our lives. Lord, we are blessed. And I pray, Lord, Heavenly Father, that we can keep learning from the Apostle Paul. That when life throws those curved balls at us, Lord, we can say with a sincere heart, what does it matter? Because I have Christ in my life. What good can come out of this, Lord, for you and for your glory? I pray, Lord, Heavenly Father, that each of us here this morning, we may continue growing in our relationship with you. And we may come each day, more and more, like the saints you've called us to be. Lord, we love you so much. Amen.